Welcome to the Political Pharmacist Podcast, the first podcast to focus on the political side of pharmacy. Here's your host, Eric Geyer. Welcome, Political Pharmacist Podcast listeners. I'm your host, Eric Geyer, and with me today, I have Dr. Gretchen Garofoli. Uh, she's an assistant professor at West Virginia University School of Pharmacy, so go Mountaineers. Uh, she's also a graduate from the University of Pitt, so go Panthers. Uh, Dr. Garofoli is also a presenter for uh, CE, for freece.com, where me and her kind of both work together and putting together a PTCB certified CE for pharmacy technicians who want to vaccinate, which we can currently do against COVID across the U.S. You're also the daughter of former guest Peter Crackle and his pharmacist wife, Denise Crackle. So like me, your, your parents were also pharmacists, so we're kind of got it in our bloodline. So welcome to the podcast, Dr. Garofoli. Thank you for having me. I'm excited to be here today. Yeah, I'm excited to have you too because you're a little bit of a pharmacy celebrity now that you've kind of been all over uh, the news with what West Virginia has been doing. Can you discuss kind of what you think West Virginia of all the states in the United States, the one that kind of stood out as far as the COVID vaccine rollout? So it's been a wonderful experience. And I've said in other interviews that if you would have asked me on December 14th, the day before we started vaccinating, (laughs) if we'd be sitting here today on all these media outlets and everything, I I would not have believed you because I I did not think that that was possible. We're just doing our job and doing what we love. But I think the thing that has really helped us to be successful has been the teamwork. So we have at the state level, all of the folks that are involved are in the same room so they can run over to different cubicles. Krista Capehart, Dr. Krista Capehart, who's also faculty at West Virginia University School of Pharmacy, and she shared faculty with the West Virginia Board of Pharmacy, has really been the pharmacy advocate at the state level and has really ensured that pharmacies have been involved with this process from the beginning. So I think just by utilizing the team-based approach, has really made us successful. Yeah, and I think that's huge because you know, like we saw that they basically knew that this was going to roll to pharmacies from the jump with what was announced early on before we even had a vaccine launched. Um, do you think that there's some sort of kind of positive reinforcement here, the fact that the government really didn't pick winners in your state? It just kind of got up to all the pharmacies where in other states it might have picked a select few that really kind of helped with the distribution as like the main pain, the main uh, focal points of it? Absolutely. So in West Virginia, about 45% of our pharmacies are independent pharmacies. So West Virginia decided not to follow the federal plan early on and really made our own state plan, which has been very successful. So they partnered with independent pharmacies. They partnered with chain pharmacies to really get the vaccine out in the community. So a lot of the independent pharmacies have had nursing home relationships for a long time. So the pharmacies that take care of those nursing homes on a regular basis already had those relationships in place. So the transition to COVID vaccinations was seamless because they were already familiar with all of the stakeholders. And it really just helped to work um, as a team to get into those long-term care facilities, to get into the other locations that we have been vaccinating in by having those relationships that have been in place for many years. Yeah. And I think that's huge that they kind of has that inherent trust built in it because they knew the pharmacist. They had that one-on-one relationship with it. They really had that connection. So when that person came to them with this vaccine, which I understand people are hesitant about it for any number of reasons, because it does seem like it was, it came up quick, even though it really didn't. They had that trust kind of already instilled of this person's recommending. I get it to protect myself. It's kind of echoing what we're hearing from people like Dr. Fauci from the top. That really kind of just helps 
get them engaged and get them to take the vaccine. Is that what kind of the reason why they did it? Absolutely. They have those relationships that have been built and the pharmacists are the most trust, one of the most trusted healthcare practitioners. And I think that it is those relationships that really help people um, and help to alleviate some of that vaccine hesitancy. I know personally, the nursing homes that we took care of, we were first time people in those facilities and we did see some vaccine hesitancy at the beginning. But then after we went in a few times, we had more people that were um, asking us questions that we were feeling very open with us so that we could then have those discussions and then get them vaccinated. So I think really those pharmacies that had those relationships from the beginning were probably more successful in overcoming that vaccine hesitancy because the folks at the long-term care facilities felt like they could ask them questions and the pharmacists could alleviate any concerns. Yeah, and kind of diving into a state, this is a little more of the political side of it. When you're looking at like West Virginia, that's a little more red as on the political spectrum. And you always think of kind of what Reagan was famous for saying was the worst word someone can hear is, I'm from the government and I'm here to help. That wasn't what was happening in your state. You were having people who already had that rapport and they were coming in. So they already had that relationship, that trust built up, which is which is huge because they're no longer there from the government. They're there from your neighborhood pharmacy. They're there from you know Joe down the street who I know have known for years. And I think that that's awesome. When it comes to some of the, the laws around West Virginia with vaccines, I know that we've got a broad spectrum across the United States. I know in uh, uh, states like Mississippi and California, they've mandated all childhood, childhood vaccines. Uh, other states are having huge upticks in things like measles because of the exemptions that people are using or misusing, depending on what you kind of think of that. Does West Virginia have anything specific when it comes to vaccine laws that just is different than other states? Right. So West Virginia is one of those states, along with Mississippi and California, that have the strictest vaccination requirements. And I actually talked to my student pharmacists about this last week, and I make it a guessing game and have them guess which states have <laughs> the strictest the strictest immunization laws. So I think that that does help um, because we we have people that get the vaccines and it, and it helps to protect everybody by ensuring that those vaccine uh, requirements are met for kids that are going to school. Yeah. And I don't think we're going to see COVID mandated, at least not anytime in the near future, not until supply becomes a glut as opposed to, you know, where it's at now, where we just have phone calls ringing off the hook at pharmacies to try and get it and <laughs> bend and break every rule just so that someone can get it or use a connection. But I think that that's really interesting that you have states like West Virginia, and Mississippi, which are fairly similar than California, the opposite end of the spectrum and all of them have some of the highest vaccination rates of preventable diseases and they're completely different states on so many levels you can't even begin to describe it so that's that's really cool that you do that for your students yeah uh, you also had a uh, a good deal of media time recently on the u.s on various channels but also across the pond at the bbc which i thought was amazing <laughs> uh, if you would have like you said if you asked me that a pharmacist from west virginia was going to be on the BBC News, I thought something went wrong. So how have you in some way kind of been the, the face for COVID vaccine success or help promote kind of what success looks like for the COVID vaccine? So the first thing is, is I'm not good at saying no. So anytime <laughs> they have reached out to us about having somebody speak on some type of platform, I always say yes. I, I think that it's important for us to share our story. And I always invite my colleagues to come and share their stories as well. 
But I think that I, I've been asked, number one, um, because of my leadership role within the American Pharmacists Association. So I am the current coordinator for the Immunizing Pharmacists Special Interest Group. So APHA has really supported me in these efforts and um, supported sending interview requests my way because they know me. They know that I am practicing in West Virginia. And I think that after the NPR article came out, that that was really what was the springboard to the other stories. So it is just it's been a very surreal experience. And many of my colleagues have been interviewed as well. Dr. Krista Capehart has been on all kinds of programs um, speaking about her experiences. She is doing everything at the state level. And my role is pretty much at the local level. I'm working to develop interprofessional teams of students to get out there at the state level. But really, my role has been on the ground running and getting these vaccines into arms. Yeah, and I can't I can't understate how important that is because the vaccine to arm, that last like mile or that last foot just to get it in someone's arm is what really matters here. And honestly, it's the hardest part as I've had to deal with in this COVID vaccine. We can throw the education out there. We can talk with people. We can put up signs. But actually get someone to get that last like few inches get to get it in their arm and get it protected is huge. One thing I thought was really interesting, though, is pharmacists are really kind of been like the spearhead of this from what we've seen just because of how many locations we have, the accessibility we have. And then now we're starting finally to see people like you recognized by the media as, hey, look what this person's doing. And, oh, by the way, they're a pharmacist. And we're not seeing you know the typical talking heads of doctors on the CNN and all these other channels or on things like NPR. What do you think pharmacists need to do to kind of help highlight the media or the the news narrative more so people understand what we're doing to help keep people healthy and help keep them protected? I think now is not a time to be shy or to shy away from interviews or the camera. We really need to get the information out there about what we are doing to help bring it into this pandemic. I've had so many people that have um, volunteered to help at our clinics and a lot of them are pharmacists and they might be pharmacists that aren't trained to immunize, but they are there running the registration. They are there doing the post-vaccine observation and everybody is so willing to help because they want to do their part to help bring it into the pandemic. They have said that I've felt helpless for too long and I just really want to do what I can. So they come, they prepare doses, they do registration, all of those things. And of course we have those that are trained to immunize, immunizing, but I think that it has been a rewarding experience for everybody that has been involved in the process. And we need to share our stories. We need to get out there. We need to talk about what we are doing so that we can inspire others and so that everybody knows what an important role pharmacists have in this process. Yeah, I couldn't agree with you more. And I kind of took a little bit different approach. I don't have the microphone through APHA that you have. I obviously have my own podcast. But one thing I kind of was doing, and tell me what you think of this, but I was really engaging with people when I'm giving them the immunization. Since obviously we have to, you know, mix it up or draw it up, and then you have all the other steps of filling out their card, explaining the paperwork to them for vSafe and these other uh, documents that we have to legally give them. I kind of took that as a moment to really help educate them about what pharmacists do, and a lot of them are very appreciative of it, so I kind of take that moment to usually go an extra mile and say, hey, I agree, this is a pain in the butt. This rollout does stink. You know, This is why pharmacists need a little more leeway with some things so we can kind of jump in this, and it's not knee-jerk reactive, but the systems are already in place for us. And then sometimes they start going about their drug prices or whatever, and I'll talk to them for one second about a PBM issue or what have you. But do you think that that grassroots level is effective as well? 
I think that it is. And we have done some interprofessional clinics where we've had nurses administering as well as pharmacists. And I tell all of my students, all of the faculty that I'm working with, that when you're introducing yourself, you need to introduce yourself as I am a pharmacist. I'm giving you this vaccine. And then taking those moments to talk about what a pharmacist can do, because oftentimes you'll get the question, well, I didn't know pharmacists could do this. And yeah. so explaining to yeah. patients, especially those that might not know what all pharmacists can do. I would say my role has been a little bit different because I've not been inside the pharmacy when I've done any of these vaccinations. We've gone out to long term care facilities. We've vaccinated faculty and staff at the university that are over the age of 50. We've gone into other healthcare provider offices. And I think really um, talking about what we do and what else pharmacists can do. And we are educating those, including other healthcare providers, about our role and what we can do to work together in all aspects of a patient's care. Yeah, you know, I think you really hit that in the head, with, especially with the, working with the other healthcare providers, because I vaccinated several uh, physicians when I was in like these long-term care facilities doing it, and they were they were obviously super thankful and super on board with it. But it was one thing I got back from them was I'm so glad that you guys are taking on this burden because I I just have too much on my plate right now. I, there's no way in heck I could do this with my practice on top of it. Is that kind of what you're hearing from some of the physicians around the area? Yeah, we've we've heard that, and um, we've done other offices. We've done dental groups. We've done um, eye associates. So the dentists in particular have been interesting to talk to because they are in people's mouths all the time. They really wanted to ensure that they got vaccinated first, and I would say that they've been the most appreciative of our efforts. They sent us a tray of cookies. <laughs> they've given us shout-outs on social media, so... I, I agree that they are extremely happy that we are providing that service of giving them the vaccine as well as so many others. You know, what's funny is I had to go to a dentist during the pandemic just for like my normal cleaning stuff. And they kind of had a little more trust in me because they know I'm a pharmacist and they've obviously known like me that like you, that my mom was also a pharmacist for a long time. So they know I understand how all this works and kind of some of the hurdles you might have to jump through. And in fact, I took in my recent COVID testing since I was doing long-term care facilities to show them I was negative. So they felt a little more comfortable and they were super appreciative of that, but then also that we were doing it. And like you said, their business got hit and then they weren't able to take care of people. And we can't just ignore people's dentition because of a pandemic. People still have issues with their teeth. In fact, I'm getting more questions at my pharmacy about that because people are scared or can't get dental appointments. So I think that's a, an interesting kind of like alliance and way that we can help somebody that normally we don't always work with as much with dentists there. So that's that's pretty cool. Right. The dental office we vaccinated, they um, get their flu shots from us every year. So it was a natural collaboration. But and it's not the actual dentist that I go to. So when I went to my regular dentist for the cleaning, they talked to me about their struggles with getting the vaccine. And I think it just goes to show the importance of building those relationships early because the dentists that we work with for flu vaccines, they knew to reach out to us, whereas other dental offices that maybe have turned us down in the past for going um, in and doing other vaccination efforts, maybe they didn't think to reach out to us. So I think that that collaboration is key and really just it's all about relationships. Yeah, for sure. Yeah, it's crazy how much all the stuff and all the science, all the mRNA, the deep freezers, the logistics of shipping it overseas, a lot of it still comes down to how well you know and trust the person who's sitting across the table from you, which is just like the most basic human interaction. Yeah. 
uh, another thing that we kind of had talked about, because you've been active with this stuff, and we've seen a lot of people kind of pick up with trends on this in social media. Do you think that social media is a good way that pharmacists can get messaging out? Because it can often be a fine line with uh, some of the responses people get on there. What's your What's your thoughts on that to kind of have so every pharmacist can have somewhat of a voice? So I think that a lot of our patients are going to social media for their information, and that's where they cite all of the misinformation that they that they see. I have not heard many people say, and I don't know if it's just that they don't tell us, that, well, I, I read that I should get my vaccine on social media, so I decided to get it. <laughs> I think that they, I don't know why, but I feel like maybe they put more trust into the, the negatives, and I don't know if that's what they're leaning towards, and that's why. But at one of the dental offices, we had somebody that had chosen not to receive the vaccine the first time we were there. And when we went back the second time, I had overheard a conversation where this person was talking about her concerns with her colleagues and said how she heard all of this stuff on social media. And her colleagues said, well, the experts are right over there. Go ask the pharmacist and they can they can dispel any of those myths for you. So. I don't know why people turn to those methods for a lot of the information, but I think that we can do our part. And again, I don't know how much they're reading and accepting the positive information. I think that the positive comes more so from those one-on-one interactions, but it doesn't hurt to post that information. And I'm not a frequent social media poster, but I have posted a lot of the things that we've been doing related to the vaccination efforts. And I had somebody from my hometown reach out to me with questions and concerns. And I said, well, if that person reached out to me and I was able to maybe alleviate some of their concerns, that I considered that a win. So not necessarily posting information about like this. These are the facts about the vaccine, but sharing my experiences so that they knew I was involved and felt comfortable in reaching out to me as a trusted person that could answer their questions. Yeah. And, you know, that's huge. Like you said, just kind of being there and being the the ambassador for it, if you will. That's part of the reason I wanted to make sure I got my vaccine as soon as I could. And it was helping to, you know, vaccinate at nursing homes and things like that. And the other day, you know, I had somebody who was citing a lot of misinformation while I was doing an MTM for them at my pharmacy. I was doing their complete medication review. I'm going over it. And they had like everything you could think of for a reason that why they should get this vaccine, whether it be age, COPD, asthma, uh, heart disease. And I was talking to them and they kept, they just kept going on about it. And I kind of just, I was kind of blunt with it, whether it's right or wrong. I said, Hey, you know, you trust me to handle your medication, right? You trust me for this. You get all your stuff here. You're, you're listening to what I'm saying about what you should eat and what you shouldn't eat when it comes to watching your sodium intake. And she's like, yeah. I go, so why wouldn't you trust me about, you know, the vaccine if I got it myself? And then she's like, Oh, you got it. And I said, yep. And then we kind of had a discussion around it. Next thing you know, we now have an appointment for her to come in and get it since she fits every criteria. And she was super happy. In fact, she was so happy. We also got her husband signed up. So it was kind of like I had a two for one win there on a one off by just leaning into it a little bit and showing some care for that person, which is exactly what you were talking about there. That's wonderful. All right. So now I'm going to kind of step back a little bit and say, if I give you a magic wand, what would you change in COVID times without saying COVID so that we could get this vaccine rollout better implemented from the top down from say even day one? I would just say the collaboration is key. We need to put aside our differences and we just need to work together to do what is best for the patient. We all are 
pandemic tired. We want this to be over. And I would say just the most important thing is putting aside any and all differences to do what is best for the patients so that we can get those doses out, we can get those doses safely and effectively into arms, and so that we can all do our part to help bring it into the pandemic. Yeah, I couldn't say that any better myself. That's, that's something I'm total agreement with here. Uh, one thing before we end this podcast, two questions I ask everybody. And if you could change one thing about pharmacy, not a law, but just one thing about pharmacy in general, what would it be? I think that we just need to have pharmacists working alongside other providers in all practice settings so that we can do a lot of the things that we are doing in the community side. A lot of things that we see in our community pharmacies could have been fixed if a pharmacist was working alongside with the provider and making those recommendations, whether it's cost savings, whether it's uh, the treatment that's decided upon. I think just working together at the from the beginning of the process and not waiting till the end when they bring the prescription into the pharmacy to then have to call and jump through all the hoops to make those changes. Yeah, that's a collaborative practice is just something that I'm a huge proponent of for many reasons. So yeah, I, I echo your sentiments there. Now, if you could change one law about pharmacy, federal or even state, since obviously you were live in uh, West Virginia, but you've lived in Pennsylvania before, what law would you change and why? So I would say any of the laws around reimbursement. I think that a lot of the issues that come about in pharmacy come from the reimbursement issues that we're all seeing. So whether it's pharmacies aren't getting reimbursed enough, so then we have staffing issues. I think that just the the reimbursement is the biggest issue, no matter if you're an independent or a chain pharmacy. I think that that's something that we all struggle with. And I think that if those issues were fixed, we could see a lot more um, positive things coming out of our pharmacy practice. We could see patients um, being happier. We could see our staff being happier because we're not understaffed. So any of those types of things that, that could be fixed with regards to reimbursement, I think could really have an impact on other aspects that we see um, in pharmacy practice currently. You know, I like the way you worded that, obviously, almost like a cyclical problem there that keeps begetting itself when it comes to reimbursement. And if we saw better reimbursement, we saw better staffing, we saw better patient engagement, we saw people take their meds better, it just ends up trickling back up to patient care and then cost savings in the long run by actually increasing reimbursement a little bit to uh, to basically have people take care of people in the pharmacy. So that's a that's an interesting point to kind of spin backwards the way you kind of brought that down to the granular level. So I really like that. Thanks. All right. So listeners, uh, where can where can you find where can they find you if they want to kind of learn more about what you're doing with some of the stuff? I always offer whether it's through a free CE presentation or other presentation, people can reach out to me on LinkedIn. I'm happy to answer any questions. I have people finding me all different ways, whether it's through my faculty profile at West Virginia University School of Pharmacy or through LinkedIn. I, um, I'm happy to answer questions. Like I said, anything that I can do to help you all be successful is a win for me. Yeah. I, and I, I love the stuff you're putting out there, even though you don't post on social media as much as you said other people do. But I really like the stuff you do post because it's always super informative, which is why I wanted you on here. So uh, as always, listeners, Thanks for listening to the podcast. And if you want to kind of see what Gretchen and I worked on together here, 
Uh, FreeCE has a great PTCB certified program for immunizations for technicians. I did the COVID part, and then she did kind of like the the regular immunization part of how to administer and things like that. So go on there. And as always, thanks for listening to the Political Pharmacist Podcast, your prescription for pharmacy and politics.